When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to review some Bengals headlines, and we're also going to talk about the Super Bowl. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Who day? Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. Another NFL season in the books. We're getting closer and closer to that ring. It's going to happen in our lifetimes, and it's going to also happen during Joe Burrow's career here. All right, so this is the last episode of Season 3. Next episode will be the first episode of Season 4, and I really appreciate you guys listening. All right, so let's go over some headlines. The biggest headline of the last couple weeks, I don't care about the Super Bowl, I'm semi over the AFC Championship game, but it's Ken Riley making the Hall of Fame, the third Bengal to go in behind Mr. Paul Brown and Mr. Anthony Munoz, and Ken Riley deserved it. It's unfortunate that he didn't get to see it during his lifetime, but his family got to enjoy it. His son, very involved with the Bengals organization, I actually had a conversation with him when I was out in Cincinnati and visiting Bengal Jim Foster, so it was very cool to talk to him, and I'm just so glad that that family got this honor. And Mr. Riley, wherever you are right now, you're in the Hall of Fame, and it is so well-deserved. He played 15 years, and durability was a big thing. He barely missed time when he was when he was playing for the Bengals. I was researching his stats, and in the 15 years, there was one year where he played seven games. So he must have had an injury that year. But for the rest of his career, the other 14 years, he missed just eight games. So you're playing 15 years as a defensive player in the NFL. Defense is a physical position. You know, you're getting blocked by guys. You have to tackle. You're a hitter. You know, the average defensive guy is typically tougher than the average offensive guy. So it's, it's a very physical position, whether you're playing in the trenches or whether you're playing on the outside, and especially in the era that Ken Riley played in. So first off, the durability was there. In his career, he didn't make any Pro Bowls, but he probably should have made a bunch. I know Lamar Parrish made a bunch during that time, and maybe they're reluctant to give it to two Bengals at once, but that doesn't matter. He's in the Hall of Fame. I'll take Hall of Fame over 10 Pro Bowl appearances. He was All-Pro once, and he had a bunch of first and second team All-NFL and All-Conference, like by AP and sports writers and stuff. Not technically All-Pro, 
but a bunch of accolades during his career. I, I read the list, 75, 76, 82, 83, a bunch of years in between. So a very decorated career, and I'm just glad that the NFL finally let him into the hall. 65 interceptions during his career in the regular season, and you're just not going to see that number anymore. It's just, you know, guys are a little more careful with the ball than back then. Interception totals in the 70s and early 80s, guys were getting 10-plus a year. I'm sure you get six or seven, and you're going to lead the league in, in today's day. But regardless, a ton of interceptions. He had five pick sixes, three playoff interceptions in seven playoff games, three forced fumbles, 18 fumble recoveries. I know I just threw a lot of numbers at you, so who cares about the minutia of it? The reality is that Ken Riley was responsible for 89 turnovers during his career. I don't think the greatest player of our era is going to touch that number. You know, it's, it was a different game back then, but that's a lot of productivity and I'm glad that the Hall of Fame recognized this great player and this great person. And my fondest memory of Ken Riley, I mean, I can say it's my fondest memory, but I was very, very young at the time. I proclaimed myself a Bengal fan in 1976 as a very young kid, and I happened to go to a Bengal game that year when they came to New York to play the Jets. It was Joe Namath's last game. If you heard the podcast before, I have mentioned this story a few times. But in that game, really the only thing I remember was Isaac Curtis having a long touchdown in that game and the Bengals winning 42-3. to But in addition to that, he had three interceptions in that game. So I was there. I witnessed it. Don't quite remember it because it was so long ago. But I will say that is my fondest memory because I was in the building when it happened. The other big piece of news from this week is A.J. Green retired from the NFL. One of my favorite Bengals of all time. The best Bengal wide receiver of all time at this point. We know that Jamar and T are going to put up great numbers. We know that Chad Johnson had a phenomenal career. You know, you can go back to some of the, you know, the Eddie Browns, the McGees, the Carl Pickens, Chris Collinsworth, but none of those guys were on the level of A.J. Green. He was special. So he was on a Hall of Fame path, and I think he should go to the Hall. But when you have the tail end of the career and you, and you tail off for those last couple of years, it hurts you a little bit. You don't have a ring, it hurts you. You played in Cincinnati, it hurts you. There's all these things that are going to go against him, and I'm sure he's not going to be a first or a second ballot guy, but he should get in at some point because he hit the benchmark of 10,000 career yards. We'll go over his numbers in short in just a second. But A.J. Green, an absolute class act, a guy who led by example, never ran his mouth, just went out there as a silent assassin. He gave us so many memories and so many amazing plays. I, I, I forgot about more plays than I remember because there were so many. And after all is said and done, he proclaims himself and his family Bengals fans for life. So even though at the end of his career, you know, he wanted to keep playing, the Bengals kind of moved on from him. So, of course, if you still got something left in the tank and the ability to make money playing football, you're going to stick around. But his heart never left the Bengals. And A.J. Green, I really appreciate that, my friend. Think about all the amazing catches and the runs after the catch. I mean... He destroyed the Steelers and the Ravens and the Browns amongst the whole league. But in particular, you guys remember the plays of, of him like stepping over two Steelers. It happened multiple times, like downfield on these huge catches for touchdowns. The Ravens play where he's two guys are there. He's jumping over one. He's spinning around the other. He's out racing everybody to the end zone. That happened a few times. He had the game against the Ravens, which was, a I think, a Monday nighter where he had three touchdowns in the first half. We just... He just basically ran away with the game before the whistle barely blew to start the game. Against the Browns, he had that juggling catch. He had the Hail Mary deflection against the Browns, which popped into his hands. In his first game ever, he, he wasn't putting up any numbers in that game. And then we had the play where Gradkowski faked out the other team. And 
they didn't even know we were going to run a, I think it was the Browns. They didn't even know we were going to run a play, and A.J. Green goes for like a 40- or 50-yard touchdown. Just, as I said, so many great plays. It's hard to remember them all unless I start looking them up and documenting them. But I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to take what was in my head, the memories that, that are burned into my mind without doing any research, and saying, he gave us so many memories. Seven Pro Bowls. No All-Pros, but we know how that goes. 70 career touchdowns, 65 as a Bengal. Over 10,000 career yards, and that's the benchmark to get you in Hall of Fame consideration. That and the Pro Bowls, and then he had five straight 1,000-yard season, and he, he was on pace to set the record for that. And then I think it was 2016, he got hurt after 10 games, but he had 960 yards after 10 games. And that was looking like it was going to be his best season ever. And, of course, he missed – in 10 games, he almost had 1,000 yards to keep that streak going. So it ended in that year, but then the next year he had another 1,000-yard season. Postseason wasn't friendly to him, but if you remember, so one postseason he didn't play because he got a concussion against the Steelers a week or two before that. But the other four, as we know, during the Marvin Lewis era where the Bengals, you know, didn't do that well. You know, one of those games, Andy Dalton was throwing high the whole game. You figure if you're going to play the Bengals in the playoffs in those days, you're all over A.J. Green. I know we had Marvin Jones and Sanu and some other threats. But A.J. Green was the one you had to watch. So he was facing double coverage and even more at times in those playoff games. So unfortunately, he played in five postseason games, 18 receptions, 132 yards, and one touchdown. So those numbers aren't that impressive. So I don't want to be an A.J. Green apologist, but those low numbers in the postseason weren't entirely his fault. Regardless of that, the greatest Bengal wide receiver of all time up to this point. And I, I hope Jamar passes him, truthfully, because that'll mean greater times for us. But A.J. Green was the man. He was really one of my favorite players when he was here. I met him. I have an autographed mini helmet like sitting right by my TV. I'm looking at it right now. So a class act gave us so many memories. My fondest memory of A.J. Green, and I'm thinking it could be yours too, it was the Jeremy Hill playoff game right before all that nonsense happened. A.J. Green against Pittsburgh, scoring a touchdown down the right sideline, punting the ball into the crowd. We're looking at our first playoff win for a really hot Bengals team. And, of course, we know the end of that story, but that moment, I'll never forget it. I mean, I remember I, ju I literally I jumped up because I, I was crazy during the playoff games. I still am. But I, I landed on my knee, and I, like, bruised my kneecap. I, it was a weird injury. That bone, like, right under your kneecap hurt me for, like, a month after that. And that was the excitement of an A.J. Green play. So I, I can't thank you enough, A.J. Green, for what you did for the Cincinnati Bengals. And I will always be a fan and maybe someday a friend. All right, so let's move on to some other news. Trade rumors are happening. And this is what happens. Somebody says something on Twitter, whether it's founded or not, and everyone jumps on it. You know, you saw the one story with, with the ref, my favorite ref, Torbert, from the AFC Championship game. There was, there was something that went around that his son placed a large bet on the Chiefs for that game. And I actually believed that for a night. I was going ballistic. I was texting people that I'm like on the verge of being homicidal. Of course, just kidding. But then I found out the next day that that, that wasn't true. And the same thing with these trade rumors. You know, you're hearing that the Bengals are going to trade Higgins rather than pay him. There's a whole bunch of stuff circulating on who's staying, who's going. Words of advice, don't read into any of that stuff. You know, you have to think practically. Are the Bengals really going to get rid of T. Higgins? Even Mr. Brown said last year that he never wants Boyd to leave. He wants to keep that trio intact. We'll see what happens with that. In another episode or two, we'll talk about the future of everyone on the roster. But in the meantime, don't buy into all these negative rumors. 
and get yourself all worked up over it. Just enjoy the season that we had. Know that this front office is good at, at obtaining players, drafting well, and retaining players. So T. Higgins is going nowhere. You heard it here. And any of the other stuff you heard, I would take with a grain of salt until it's evidently provable. And then the last thing before we talk about the Super Bowl, the Pro Bowl. Glad that Joe Burrow didn't play in that game. Jamar Chase did. I was worried the whole time, honestly. I mean, he was. I saw he was having such a good time out there. Hendrickson did really good in the skills challenge. So, you know, both of the Bengals that showed up made a pretty good name for themselves and endeared themselves to us, as always, but the league and the fans and the other players. So it was good for them. But I'll tell you, that flag game was unwatchable. I needed a football fix because I know the season was over yesterday and in the Pro Bowl, you're... You know, there's like one game left in the football season until the long wait until September. I never watched the Pro Bowl, but in this case, it was a new event, and I needed a football fix, so I watched it. But yeah, the flag game was unwatchable. I like the skills test and challenge, but it's dangerous. I was like, please don't have Jamar Chase doing anything in this. I'm seeing Hendrickson unloading those 50-pound weights by the dozen when they're doing that sled push, and I'm like, just don't drop it on your foot, man. I just get nervous about that. I don't care about showcasing in these, you know, for, for lack of a better word, these stupid NFL skills challenges. Because you saw Miles Garrity dislocated his toe. I can't say that I wasn't slightly happy about that, but that's not cool of me to root for an injury. But, um, you know, he's, he's a Bengal killer, so take it for what it's worth. But either way, the whole time I'm watching and being like, you know, don't have some weird collision or don't twist your knee. Please just let nothing happen. Just do away with the Pro Bowl and do away with the skill challenges. If anything, I would have loved to have seen the fastest guys race in a 40. That, that probably would have been more fun than watching some of the events that they had. But that's another recipe to, t- to tear or pull your hamstring. Just give these guys the accolades. Hey, you're a Pro Bowl player. And that way you don't have the seventh alternate playing in these games. And I'm a Pro Bowler. I was the seventh alternate. No. You name your first and second teamers just like the All-Pro. And guys get the accolades. They get to hang something on their wall. And don't put them out here and expose them to injury. This, this sport is so rough to play. Injuries are so frequent. And injuries to your key players can destroy your team. And what is the Pro Bowl? Those are all the key players from all the teams. So if and when I take over and I'm in charge of the NFL and take over for Roger Goodell, I'm going to do away with the Pro Bowl. But in the meantime, I hope the NFL comes to their senses. And you know... I, I know Pat McAfee as a player. I never listened to his podcast. I kind of I run to my own drum. Like, before I did the podcast, I had never listened to a podcast before. Maybe to my detriment. Maybe I could have learned some lessons. But I'm, I like to be original, and I don't like to be influenced by things. And I just kind of took this podcast and, and gave it my own voice and just did and just talked Bengals like I thought you should talk Bengals. And I just have my own style. I don't copy anyone. But obviously, Pat McAfee is, and like Joe Rogan, those are guys that are, are like the top podcasts in the world. They make millions of dollars. It's a, an excellent product, I imagine. And uh, this is really the first time that I heard Pat McAfee do his thing because he was announcing the Pro Bowl. And I liked him. I thought he did a very good job. So, you know, maybe I'll check out a half an episode and, and uh, hear Aaron Rodgers talk about crazy stuff. This is Zaire Johnson. And you are listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Super Bowl 57, Kansas City Chiefs 38, Philadelphia Eagles 35. All right, so Super Bowl 57, what a spectacle. Just total entertainment, really exciting football. 
35-35 in the fourth quarter late. I mean, I don't know what happened to the defenses. I mean, we knew that Kansas City had a middle-of-the-road defense, but the Eagles, I, I thought they were so strong on all levels of that defense, especially that defensive line, all the sacks they had during the regular season, and they just fell apart in the most important game of the year. You know, a lot of that is Andy Reid, which we'll get into in a minute, but it was kind of eerily similar to the Bengal game. You know, this tight game in the AFC Championship game, we're thinking the Bengals are going to win. In this game, I proclaimed it at halftime. I was like, I know football, and there is no chance the Eagles are losing this game. And of course, you know, it shows that we all aren't as smart as we think we are. But the other thing, it was similar to the Bengals because there was a key penalty late, which really changed the course of the game. In the Bengals' case, it really wasn't the Osai penalty. That was a legitimate penalty, but it was a couple of the other things late. You know, the holding call, the um, Joe Burrow grounding. I'm not going to go over that. I, I, I know I ranted about it in the last episode. So really for this game, that was a bad defensive holding call. And same thing with the Bengals. Like, if you want to call that in the fourth quarter, I'm fine with it. But you realize you're deciding the biggest game of the year. And also, why didn't you call that in the first quarter, in the second quarter, in the third quarter? You wait till the key time. That's the way the NFL is played. You see it. There's a lot of contact after five yards. And they let it go. Because if not, every play is going to have a penalty. Just not in that moment. Like, let the game go to overtime. You don't think that's entertainment? You don't think the NFL's making more money if that goes into overtime? You don't think Vegas is making more money if that goes into overtime? Well, maybe not. We'll talk about that in a second. But it's just a bad look for the NFL because people are starting to really get onto the, the narrative that it's rigged and that Vegas has his pulse on it. And like I said, it's it's so hard to pull off a conspiracy like that. But I don't know. You know, some say that they overstated the Mahomes injury because if that was a legitimate high ankle sprain that he that he suffered a few weeks back, he, he shouldn't be moving around like this. And I know he looked hobbled and everything, but just everything. He's like the prized possession of the NFL. Every commercial, during the Bengal game, right? We're watching this competitive game with our team, hanging on every second of the game. And then in commercial breaks, you have to see Mahomes and Andy Reid clowning around. He's like the chosen one of the NFL. And I, I don't know, I'm not going to claim conspiracy, but it's like... What's better for the NFL right now? You know, the hated Eagles winning the Super Bowl or Patrick Mahomes, you know, everyone's darling, winning the Super Bowl? And then the other curious thing is, I don't know what it was at game time, but at one point it was 74% of the betting population was betting Eagles. You're talking billions of dollars right there. So if there was a way to fix it, and if money rules the world, like unfortunately it does... You know, that, that's a conspiracy theory to, to maybe think about. Regardless, the officiating just has to be more consistent. It's impossible to be perfect. I can't do better than these guys out there. It's a very tough job. But just be consistent. If you're not going to be perfect, just be consistent. And then Slider Art, one of my friends, we, we talk about the Bengals a lot. I'm just going to punch up my phone. He, he texted me something that I thought was, was pretty profound and kind of shares my frustration of, of everything. And he said... Think about this, Frank. Bengals game, bunch of questionable calls, then a punt return that puts them in serious position to win. A horrible call seals the game. Can you look at the Eagles? Almost the same exact scenario to a T. He goes on to say, Every quarterback in the league gets doubted and trashed. Hurts was trashed. Burrow. Lamar Jackson. Dak Prescott. Cousins. Lawrence. The list goes on. But there's never any criticism of Patrick Mahomes. And uh, you know what, Slaughter? I don't know. You make some very good points here. All right. So anyway, let's let's stop complaining about the refs and the rigged NFL and 
whatever narratives we want to form and talk about the game a little bit. It was a hard-hitting game, and those teams came out slamming. Like, I don't look at the Chiefs as a really physical defense. I know, I mean, Gay and Bolton are hard hitters. Frank Clark's a, a tough man. Obviously, Chris Jones is a game wrecker. But they were really aggressively throwing their bodies around out there. I, th- I think they almost out-aggressived the Eagles, which is hard to do because I think they're a physical defense. But yeah, very hard-hitting game. So you knew the stakes were high. Everyone was jacked up. Very fun for the fans to see. And not a lot of injuries, so that's good too. A nice hard-hitting game, fairly clean. No one got severely hurt. Good stuff. I'm watching the game with the offensive line play. And I'm seeing Hertz just sit back there and just pat the ball, pat the ball, pat the ball, and able to whip it 50, 60 yards downfield. Mahomes, they barely touched him during the game. And I'm, I just turned to my friends, and I'm like, if Joe Burrow had this kind of protection, we would, we would be, there would be a parade in Cincinnati, and we'd be bragging about our first ring. It's just a shame that, you know, we don't have that same kind of protection that these guys have. But hopefully we work on it. Obviously, number one priority in the offseason again. You know, people can, can talk about corners and safeties and, you know, you always need defensive tackles. and You know, those, those are romantic to think about, but just keep beefing up this offensive line. We'll get into that more later. But, yeah, the offensive line play was outstanding, and I was jealous. I was like, man, if Burrow had this, we, we'd be the, the second undefeated team in NFL history probably. Then you have Mahomes playing hurt out there. I give him credit. And, you know, you can say it was he exaggerating. He wasn't. Obviously, they shot him up big time before the game. But that was a pretty nasty hit that he took where his ankle got bent. The guy landed on it. And I was like, oh, he's coming out of the game. This game is over. Eagles are winning this. Because I didn't want the Chiefs to win because they knocked us out. And I have this resentment towards Mahomes, even though I like him as a player. You know what? It's not a resentment towards Mahomes. It's a resentment of how the NFL treats Mahomes. I guess that's what bothers me more than anything. And, you know, when when your favorite player is Joe Burrow, you don't want to see everyone anointing this other quarterback the greatest of all time because, you know, our guy's going to be in that conversation. But I do give Mahomes credit for playing her. He said that he didn't get shot up at halftime, and just be honest. There's no no shame in saying you got shot up to go out there. I, I respect you. You went out there, you put everything on the line, and you played great in the second half where it looked like you could barely walk. Even scrambling. I, I'm, I'm so surprised he had that one long scramble for a first down late that led to a score. And then on to quarterback scrambling. I think Hertz is the new Lamar. As we know, these, these running quarterbacks, you can't keep it going forever. You get into your late 20s, especially your early 30s, you just can't sustain that at that position. You, you can't. You're not built like that. Even running backs... How many running backs are there over the age of 30? Everyone everyone tails off. So a quarterback that's not taking the hits and not used to taking the hits the same way as a running back, you can't keep it going forever. But Hertz is very good at it. I know he squats a ton of weight, and he looked great out there running. And I was like, this is what Lamar Jackson used to be. And, you know, between us, hopefully Lamar doesn't return to that form. And then during the game, I'm seeing A.J. Brown. And they targeted him a few times, but it took a while for the first target and it was like, as soon as they started throwing to him, it was just working the whole game. And I just don't know why they didn't involve him a little earlier. I know he was getting the Jamar Chase treatment, bracketed, doubled, chucked at the line, game planned against, the whole thing. But I just would have found a way to get him the ball at all costs because every time he touched it, he was making some magic happen. So a lot of respect to A.J. Brown. He's a great wide receiver. 
Now you go to Andy Reid. He is a great coach, and he is going to go to the Hall of Fame. You know, it took him to get a second ring to convince everyone, but the halftime adjustments, he did it. You know, they were stalling. They were down by 10 at the half. Their offense was decent, but not not tearing up the world. Then they come out of halftime, and, and they score on like four straight possessions, maybe even more than that. That's halftime adjustments. Even a hurt quarterback, you're down 10. Eagles have momentum, and you find a way to get that done. That is a lot Andy Reid and a lot Eric Bieniemy. so I give them credit. And then also another very well-coached aspect. This is Bill Belichickian when McKinnon slid at the one-yard line. I mean, McKinnon is probably a heady player and kind of knew to do that on his own, but a lot of times that's coached into you, and the coaching staff prepares for all scenarios. And I'm hoping that before that drive, they said, hey, don't score, you know, just just let's, our main goal is to run the clock out. Just leave the ball at the one. We'll kick the winning field goal. The Eagles will never see the ball again. So excellent smarts by McKinnon and great coaching by Andy Reid and his staff. But even Andy Reid isn't immune to getting ridiculed. I cannot believe that Bradshaw said, quote, unquote, waddle over here. Terry's entertaining and, you know, he's getting older, and as you get older, sometimes the filter isn't there, so you just say the first things that come that comes to your mind. And he's known for being a loose cannon anyway, but just not cool, Terry. You have to show a little more restraint. Even if age has taken away your internal filter, you're in a position where you can't make those kind of mistakes. And that was very insulting, especially to a man who just led his team to a Super Bowl victory, and a lot of it was because of his coaching. And then he gets insulted in front of millions of people on TV, so... I guess that's what you expect out of a Steeler. And then Harrison Bucker, I'd like to thank him because I was in a box pool and I would have made 50 if he would have made that kick. And he missed it. And of course, the week before he makes the, or two weeks before he makes the kick that knocks out my dreams and our dreams and Joe Burrow. And so Bucker kind of got me twice as this season came to an end. So he's going to join that list of my least favorite players. He's an excellent kicker, but hopefully he'll have a big miss next year in the AFC Championship game, and he'll be crying on the sideline while we go to the Super Bowl. And then to talk about the stuff that really doesn't matter, the halftime show, I'm not a big fan of it, you know, because I'm all about football. And, you know, concerts are definitely cool. They get the top artists in the world. But typically I have no patience for it. I wish halftime was 15 minutes and right back into the game. But I understand it's, it's a spectacle. It's the biggest sporting event in the United States, so they want to make it really special. Great national anthem. Rihanna was phenomenal. I love all the platforms and everything going up and down. The background dancers were great. Her voice was phenomenal. She, I didn't realize she had that many hits. So believe it or not, I was entertained by the halftime show, and I, I wasn't impatient. So excellent job by Rihanna. Excellent job by the NFL for choosing Rihanna. Wait, did we just transform from a football podcast to an entertainment podcast? I apologize. Back to reality. Oh, one more thing. Commercials. Only like one sad commercial with the dog getting old. Aside from that, I I wasn't too depressed during them. And I love the flag football one. The flag football player from Mexico is running all over and and no one can catch her. That's, That's a great one. And the Will Ferrell zombie one. Believe it or not, I had a nightmare about zombies that night. That I actually had the nightmare, woke up, went back to sleep, and the nightmare resumed. And that's pretty rare. And, uh... Yeah, it showed something got in my head with that. And I also had a nightmare of people flipping over my car, and that must be from the whole Philadelphia thing. Yes, they are crazy out there. I live in the part of New Jersey, which is by New York City, and the Philadelphia crowd is more like in South 
West New Jersey, so that's not my crowd. And I'm kind of glad because they're a little crazy over there. Not to say that New Yorkers in the Bronx isn't crazy, but yeah. So thank you for the Super Bowl for giving me some nightmares. And the biggest nightmare was that Joe Burrow wasn't up there hoisting the trophy and getting his ring. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode, we're going to do a season review of the Cincinnati Bengals 2022 season. And we're also going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.